Welcome to the Immigrant Entrepreneurs Podcast, episode 57. My name is Alina Warwick, and today we have Maria Orozova on the show. But before we continue with this episode, I wanted to ask if you can share some love by subscribing to the podcast and leaving a rating. If you leave a rating, your name may be dropped in one of my future episodes. So stay tuned and connected. And just some of these basic necessities that we're so used to in the U.S. weren't available. Like I remember my grandparents waking up and having to go stand in the bread line, you know, from like my grandfather would stand there from like 4 a.m. to 6 a.m. And then my grandmother would come and like take his place. Everything just seemed so difficult, right? Like to buy food and to do anything was just kind of a hassle. Maria immigrated to the United States from Bulgaria at the age of 11 with entrepreneurship in her blood. There were artists, graphic designers, carriage makers, tailors, and musicians in her family. And at the age of 25, she became an entrepreneur as well when she launched her creative firm, originally named The Mod Studio. Over the years, she worked with a variety of industries and prominent clients such as Dell Computers, the Four Seasons Residences, Ad Council, Exclusive Resorts, and indeed, to name the few. In 2018, she merged her creative firm with her husband's data-driven lead generation agency to form Mod Intellecti. The company now is a full-service, data-driven marketing agency specializing in marketing strategy, content developing, branding, web design, and development. Her work has earned over 75 industry awards, including making the Inc. 5000 list in 2020, and she's been featured in a multitude of publications from the Entrepreneur Magazine to Texas CEO. Today, she continues to spearhead All Creative as the agency's chief creative officer and serve on multitude nonprofit boards in the sunny side Austin, Texas area. So let's dive right in and hear all about her journey. Maria, thank you so, so much for coming on the Immigrant Entrepreneurs Podcast. I truly appreciate your time. And I'm super excited to chat about your journey because I read about you through the Immigrant Hustle book. And I'm really excited to know more about your journey. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So let's talk about your immigrant journey. Tell us where you're from and when did you come to the United States? Yeah, sure. I'm from Bulgaria originally, and I moved to the U.S. when I was 11 years old. Fun times to be in a new country and not know the language. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So I'm assuming you came with your parents. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. And what was that journey like? Why did they choose United States versus any other country? Yeah, sure. So this is back in 1993. And at that time, Bulgaria was under communist rule. And so in terms of opportunity in Bulgaria, there just wasn't a whole lot. I don't know that they selected the United States specifically, but they really wanted a better life for their family and for themselves. We landed in the U.S., Tell me, what was that process like? Did your dad come for a job? Did he have relatives or friends here? What was that journey like? Yeah, sure. So I think at the time, my parents were exploring different opportunities. But one of the most important things 
to do was to learn English because at the time, I, I think it was only required to, it was required to know Russian and Bulgarian, and that's what you studied in school. And everything Western was very forbidden. And so there was a university student actually from Florida that was going around Eastern Europe and was uh, t- giving classes in teaching English. And so my father just happened to be signed up for one of these classes and kind of hit it off with him and talked about just kind of his hopes and dreams for his family and, you know, the fact that he's a PhD engineer and all the things that he's doing in Bulgaria. And so this guy really helped my dad and invited him to the U.S. as his guest. And so that my father had the opportunity to interview with companies. Mm -hmm and kind of hope to get an H-1B visa and be able to be eligible to work in the U.S. And so it obviously worked out. (laughs) So he came to the States first, and he was here for a year before my mom and myself and my sister were able to come over. So he was just kind of hustling and just kind of learning the ropes because it's a such a different way of doing things here culturally and otherwise than in Bulgaria. Awesome. And so tell me, what was it like growing up in Bulgaria and what was it like in a communist country? Yeah. You know, the beauty of being young is that you kind of don't know what you don't know, right? Right. I mean, as far as I was concerned, I had a fine childhood and I was happy. We always had food on the table. We by no means were even middle class, I guess, looking back on it. And just some of these basic necessities that we're so used to in the U.S. weren't available. Like I remember my grandparents waking up and having to go stand in the bread line, you know, from like my grandfather would stand there from like 4 a.m. to 6 a.m. And then my grandmother would come and like take his place. Everything just seemed so difficult, right? Like to buy food and to do anything was just kind of a hassle. So he was standing in the bread line because there was just no food around? Yeah. So it was very limited. So then like the bread truck came at a certain time. So if you weren't in line and like once it runs out, it runs out. Mm -hmm. But of course, like we had a garden. And so I always say we ate so well in the summertime because we had all the you know, all the crops and things. And then the wintertime was when everything was pickled, you know? Yeah, yeah. My childhood was happy. I mean, my family was very loving. We lived in a multi-generational home. So we lived with my maternal grandparents. I mean, I tell people that I never had a room until I moved to the U.S. You know, we just kind of lived in like this small home. And so it's just crazy that our kids are like, I need my own room and it needs to look like this. And it needs to be decorated this way. And I look back and I'm like, I actually learned about having a room from watching Full House. If you remember that show, that sitcom, I'm like, wait, people can have their own space when they're little? So those things, you you never missed it because you didn't know about it, you know? Yeah. And not only that, the kids these days is like, I need my own room and a TV and an iPod and an iPhone because all my friends have him. Absolutely. It's a different world and different time. Yeah, sure. Yeah, for sure. And so how old were you when you came to the United States? I was 11. Okay. At 11 years old. Tell me a little bit about the struggles that you had to go through and the transition into this new culture and the new country. Well, at first there was just this excitement, right? That was built up from my parents, rightfully so, right? Like we get this opportunity, you get to go learn, 
you know, in a different country and study and so on. And so I was really excited. And at that point, I was taking some English lessons. But as anybody that's learned a second language by immersion, you know that, you know, you may know certain words, but once you're kind of dropped into a different country and speaking that language and everybody speaking to you in that language, it's just a different experience. So culture shock and language shock, I would say, was really tough right when I arrived. And I was first starting sixth grade at the time, which, you know, what kids can be like at that time. Just a tough few years, or maybe it was just a year. Again, like you kind of lose track of time. But I think, again, I always try to take the good with the bad. And I think it just really taught me to be resourceful and you kind of have to make it work, right? Like you have to hurry up and learn the language if you want to communicate and do well in school. So Mm -hmm. looking back on it, I could totally see how it can be life altering for the negative. I I think I just chose to take the positive out of that whole experience. So when we immigrated from Russia, I was four years old. And when we were dropped off at grade school, I was bullied constantly for the way that we dressed. And my mom would put these like big funky bows on my heads and Mm -hmm. the boys would always pull on them and bully me. Did you go through any of kind of like those experiences by any chance? So where we landed was in Florida, which is already so diverse. And so there was a program, I guess it's like English is your second language or something. So a lot, half of my classes were, I was with other immigrant kids or you know, non-native English speakers. So I think I had a little bit of that shield where everybody was awkward and everybody was different. But I do remember that we barely had enough money to move to the US. And I do remember wearing the same outfit like over and over and over again because it was my favorite. It's like my favorite thing that I had that looked more American And so I do remember there being like, you always wear the same thing over and over again. And maybe I just chose to block it out, right? But I sure did. And you know what it was? It was right around the time when the Mariah Carey Dream Lover video came out. And so I was obsessed. Uh I'm like, I need to have some cutoff shorts and a top that ties like my waist. And that's what I wore like my entire sixth grade. (laughs) I wish I was making that up, but I'm not. Yeah. (laughs) But see, you owned it. You owned your style. I was just so embarrassed to go to school. (laughs) Like, mom. Embarrassed. I think I'm just, that's my narrative now. (laughs) Okay. So Maria, before you tell our listeners about your company, tell me a little bit about the path you took. And I really want to know if you tried to go into any other fields before starting your business. You know, my path was very vague, if you will. I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I was a good student, but I wasn't excited about it. I just did it so I can get the grades because that was what you were supposed to do. Looking back now, I wish that I enjoyed school and learning more. Mm-hmm. I was just, I was so busy just like, and and, I'm, and then I'm going to be done with school and then I'm just going to get on with my life. And so I was always artistically inclined, but always kind of had that business sense. You know, I have family that has been in 
both actually like artistic side of things and then entrepreneurs. And so I really didn't know how to put it together until I found out about this thing called graphic design, which back then was still, I mean, we were barely using computers for it. And so I started my formal education in graphic design and then started to take some marketing classes and kind of realized how I can put my creativity and my artistic talent with a career, really, like a a solid way to earn a living. And so just kind of got fascinated by the fast pace of agency life. And so as I was graduating college, that was kind of my goal is to be agency side, doing creative and graphic design in particular. And so I don't know that I had a different, necessarily a different path. Like I said, I wish that I was more mindful about it at the time. I just kind of fell into it and I was naturally good at it. And so I just kind of went for it. And what did you study in school? Graphic design. So I have a graphic design degree with a minor in marketing. Got it. Okay. And so what were your first couple of jobs out of college? So my first job was at a graphic design agency, actually, in Austin, Texas, I was hired over the phone. <laughs> you know, it was it was 2005 and the economy was hopping. So I think so. Yeah, I learned so much from that job. I was one of the very early employees of the firm, and so I had so many different responsibilities that I actually liked having all the responsibilities and being able to not only have creative control but also kind of shape the agency as it was growing. And so that was a really positive experience for me, very eye-opening to put together the real world with kind of what you've learned in school. And I do a lot of freelance work even while I was in school. So I kind of knew that side of things. So yeah, that was actually my only job. And then right after that, I started my company at 25 years old. Wow. Amazing. Okay. So what was that journey like for you? Was there something that you were in that company, in that firm, and you woke up one day and said, that's it. I'm going to start my own company. What was that drew you to open up your own business? Good question. It's something that I always knew I wanted to do on my own. I love to work. I'm a hard worker. I'm a perfectionist. And I'm also accountable. So I always thought, okay, well, I'm going to give it my all no matter where I'm working. And again, I never really thought that I would do it at 25 years old. But again, it's one of those things where ignorance is bliss. You know, if I knew, (laughs) I, I guess I didn't know what I didn't know, but I just had such confidence in my efforts and just my ability to to talk to clients and prospects and deliver those creative solutions. And so I was doing some freelance work on the side as I was in this position. And so that kind of grew and grew. And, you know, I would have a happy client that would refer me to someone else that would also refer me to someone else. And so it, it was really that moment where I thought, well, if I'm doing this kind of on the side, I bet you I can do it full time as well. So it really had nothing to do with kind of my, you know, my role at the time because I was happy. It was just Mm -hmm. that opportunity. And I always ask myself, you know, well, will I regret it if I didn't do it, if I didn't take the chance? And it was just such a big, like glaring yes, like go ahead and do it. The worst thing that can happen is that you can go back to the agency side and get another job, right? So And what were you doing freelancing? Just marketing for small businesses? Yeah, primarily graphic design. I had some friends that were in the copywriting space and web development. And so we'd all kind of hire each other 
to execute projects if they were kind of beyond our own like individual scopes. Yeah, logo design, you know, there's a new company that's starting that needs a brand, needs some content, needs some messaging work. And so, yeah, I mean, it was so much fun. I remember (laughs) every single day at the end of the day, just being completely exhausted and so happy because I was doing things on my terms and my own way. I was making my own decisions. And again, like take all the good things with the bad things. I mean, there were definitely difficulties around it all as well, right? But, it, but yes. I was really happy and that's, that's what mattered and that's what propelled me forward. At 25 years old, did you tell your parents that you were quitting and starting your own business? <laughs> of course I did. And my parents were always of the mindset. I think my, my sweet parents took the, the majority of the risk in their life was kind of uprooting their family and moving them to the U.S. And so beyond right. that, everything else is like too risky, right? So it was, you know, I mean, it's, it's also generational, but it was all about well, how are you going to have health insurance? And what about your 401k? And right. And so again, being that young, I really wasn't that worried about it. I mean, there, obviously there are solutions for small business owners and entrepreneurs when it comes to those things, but I wouldn't necessarily say they were encouraging. I think (laughs) from, you know, wanting me to have that stability and yeah, for sure. A lot of people on this show are afraid to tell their parents that they started their business. Some people don't tell their parents a year later, sometimes years later, because like you said, a lot of, you know, our parents, that was their huge risk was coming to America for security, for safety. And my parents did the same thing was like, go to school. School is important. School education is, is the thing that you need to do. But yeah, a lot of immigrant kids too, they're afraid to tell their immigrant parents because they're just going to be thinking that they're crazy. And why would you lose the safety and security of your really cushiony job? So Mm -hmm. yeah, I totally get that. So tell us a little bit more about Mod Intelecki. The story there is that my company originally was called the Mod Studio, M-O-D Studio. Okay. And Mod Intelecki is actually a merger of my husband's company. My husband shortly thereafter, now husband, not at the time, but we were living together when I first started Mod Studio. And so he had the corporate job that was supposed to be our secure job, right? And he'd come home every day and complain just about politics and things that were happening on his side of things. And I was always like, I love everything that I'm doing. I'm so happy. And so six months after I started my company, he actually just literally came to me one day and said, I'm going to quit my job and I'm also going to start my marketing firm. He's also in marketing, but a lot more the driven side of things and lead generation where my focus was more creative production. Anyway, so of course I panic, like, what do you mean you're going to quit your job? (laughs) This is supposed to be the, the steady income that we were supposed to have, which again, I'm super, super thankful that I was able to be profitable like month one, because again, I had those clients already lined up. Neither of us actually got the chance to be that company that's like, oh, I'm just ramping up. Like our ramping up time was non-existent because we had a mortgage and, you know, like responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And so, again, I think that that was kind of a blessing in that sense, because we still run our business that way, like very efficiently and not as if, you know, oh, it's okay to not make money for a certain period of time, you know, we'll make it up or that kind of thing. And so... 
was that whole mindset from the beginning. And so long story short, over the years, you know, he'd have his clients and I'd have mine and we would collaborate every now and then he'd produce some sort of a, you know, like a strategic uh, marketing plan for a company, but then they'll actually need the execution. And so he'd, you know, quote unquote, hire me and then vice versa. And so we kind of ran our company side by side for the first nine years. And then finally, our businesses became so complimentary. And we had so many (laughs) clients that we finally decided, like, let's just merge the operation and make it, you know, a larger, like a larger thing. So we, we each had about 10 employees at the time. And so we merged. And so his company was called IntelliKey Group. So that's where the IntelliKey part of the name comes from. IntelliKey means bringing potential into reality in Greek, actually. And so that's kind of where the name came from. And today we're a data-driven marketing agency. We collaborate with a lot of ambitious brands and people. And our primary focus is strategy, creative technology, and how kind of those things come together to just optimize our customer's journey, right? So things are good. We've been in it for the last 13 years. Congratulations. Wow. Amazing. And working with your husband side by side, you got to have some complete synergy going on. So, and that is what I'm hearing. (laughs) Okay. So who are your major clients who, which clients have you served in the past? Gosh, so many to name. So Dell Computer is one of our, almost one of our first clients that they have been with us and expanded kind of their engagement with us as our company has grown. But again, like we, because of our service offerings, pretty broad, we can offer sales enablement and just some of that data down and dirty, like data work that's really impactful for clients. And then of course, more luxury brands like the Four Seasons Residences. And we do a lot in luxury real estate here in Austin and then beyond. Our reach has just, it's been phenomenal to see. Like sometimes I look at the brands that we've worked with and go, I never would have even dreamt that this is where we'd be and this is how far we'd be able to come. And so now when we set goals that are somewhat unrealistic sounding, I know that we can do them because we've we've come this far. <laughs> so tell me again, you guys do logo design now or you guys don't do logo designs and what types of strategies do you guys bring to these clients? Yeah, so we do. Yeah, branding and rebranding is definitely a service offering. Nowadays, we're kind of an outsourced marketing partner okay. to our clients. And so anything that they can't do in-house in the marketing and many times sales side of things, we kind of become that extension of their team. The majority of our engagements are kind of those long-term, we have a goal that we need to achieve and what are all the different pieces, whether it be from a creative standpoint or you know, lead generation for our clients. What are all those things that we need to accomplish in order to get to our goal? Got it. Full service marketing. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You mentioned that you were profitable in the very first month. And in the book, you said, because you had no other option. What does that mean? I mean, I think just that I had some savings, but I mean, that was my entry level job, like my first job, right? So you can imagine how much savings I had. And so Yeah, that Christmas, which this hasn't happened since, but that Christmas, my uh, now parents-in-law gave us $500 for Christmas. And I thought, oh, this is perfect. (laughs) And I'm sure they thought I would go and buy like 
shoes or something like that. But yeah, that was how we started. I mean, again, the barrier to entry in terms of needing that investment, especially if you can do a lot of the work yourself, is relatively low. I mean, you need a computer and some software. Everything else is kind of in your brain, right? Like you have the creative problem solving. And so there wasn't, you know, we didn't need office space and I didn't have a team. And so there's very little expense, or at least it was at the time in order to get going. And then again, transitioning some of those freelance clients that I was working with prior to starting my company. And maybe I remember expanding some of those engagements right in the beginning. It's kind of, that is what made me profitable from the beginning. And then again, you invest, right? Like hiring my first team member, then getting our first office space. And yeah, but in the beginning was just down to the penny. <laughs> and the reason why I ask is because everyone wants to be profitable in the very first month, right? So like when my dad started his HVAC company, he wasn't profitable until year two. And the very first year, he we lived off of credit cards. So, and that's why I ask. And so did you, so you brought your clients over from your freelancing that you were already doing while you were full-time employee over. And then did did you do any marketing for your marketing business? Any Facebook ads back in the day or Google ads? I don't know if Google ads existed back in the day. I think that Facebook, that was exactly the year that Facebook came to be. Okay. So, and I don't think I even signed up for it until much later, but the short answer ironically is no. A lot of it just came from happy clients that I would work with and refer, like they would just refer me business. And again, when I had a full-time job, there was a lot that I had to say no to because, you know, there's only so many hours in the day. But when I had my whole day available, and again, we, we didn't have kids. All we did was work for those first several, several years, like everything we did, everywhere we went and we would travel right with our laptops and you know, people still to this day say, oh, you guys are always traveling and you're always gone, but I mean, we're always working. And so how thankful we are, right, to mm -hmm. be able to do that, even with everything that's going on now, 2020, 21. But yeah, I mean, I literally would spend my days going to meetings to meet with new prospects I and mean, drop proposals. And then after about five o'clock, I would get down and just start doing the work. So how did clients find you? Again, I think it was referrals. And referrals. at that point, okay. I to build up in the very beginning. Yeah. Then, of course, I started to build up more of a name for myself, a portfolio. You know, I'd get, you know, a lot of inquiries through my website just based on the work. And so that's kind of how it, it started to snowball, if you will. But in the very early days, it was just you know, me beating the pavement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I read in the book, you started just out of your bedroom, right? Mm -hmm. You said that initial capital was that $500 that you unexpectedly saw or was given by your in-laws. Yeah. So we had well, my, again, now husband and I had just moved in together and we had a spare bedroom and we kind of set it up where he was on one side of it and I was on the other side. Again, oh, it's boy. pretty crazy. Right. Because I never, that was not a, let's have a, you know, I, I wasn't even like, let's find someone that has a complimentary skill set. I mean, it just all kind of happened. And now we kind of find ourselves like, you know, husband and wife running the same company. Like it's kind of a family business. Like 
I swore that that's something that I'd never do, but <laughs> here we are and it's working. And what about now? Do you guys tap into Facebook ads, Google ads? What's your marketing strategy? We do more, again, before pre-2020, Yeah, a lot more of speaking engagements, just kind of having direct contact with, with specific prospects that want to target and work with, producing content that speaks to who our target is and the types of clients that we'd like to work with. In our business, again, because our engagements tend to be pretty large, we haven't really found Facebook or or advertising, traditional advertising and Google ads and so on to be something that works for us. But it's definitely something that we utilize for our clients. It just really depends on, you know, what the business is, who the customer is. And for us, like I said, it's far more productive ways to get in front of your prospects. Yeah, you're totally right. And I had a conversation with someone recently and they said, just because you have a business does not mean you need a million followers on social media because there's a lot of successful businesses that have done people following them on social media. So, you know, Facebook ads, Google ads, and the different types of marketing strategies may work for some company, but is not one size fits all for sure. Absolutely. Well, it just so much depends on what you're selling, right? Are you selling a product or a service or something that's subscription-based? There's just, again, this is kind of what we do. How do you get to that goal, right? So many subscribers or so many products sold or one big engagement, right? There's just, there's so many variables to consider, right? Mm -hmm. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. So Maria, I wanted to know, did you have any mentors that helped you out to start your business? You know, that's always a tough question for me because <laughs> there, wasn't, there wasn't this one or two people. I'm a very curious person and I love hearing people's stories. So I would say more than anything, it was other entrepreneurs sharing their stories. This is why I love contributing to kind of a, you know, a podcast like yours. And there's just so much that you can draw from hearing other people's journeys that is inspiring and motivating. And it makes you feel like you're not on your own. Mm -hmm. So that would be my answer. I love to read a lot. I love reading people's stories and stories of companies successful or failed. That's kind of what inspires me. And that's how I learn. But in terms of having one mentor, <laughs> yeah. not for me, no. And some people have different mentors in life that they came and went and they didn't even realize that they were mentors. They just picked and choose what was resonating with them. And one gentleman said that you can really learn and get motivated from a bumper sticker on a car, you know, Absolutely. so you can, and like you said, you can read and you can listen to different journeys and at least one thing you can grab for yourself for your journey and just take it and run with it and amazing things happens with it. So thank you so much for sharing that. I wanted to ask Maria, what are some ways that you stay productive throughout the days? Because I know you do so much. You have a baby boy or is he a toddler? Is he a teenager now? Oh my gosh. He's a toddler. toddler. So he's only four. Four years old. Okay. I <laughs> <laughs> wasn't sure what the age group he was in. And you're doing so much philanthropically. You guys are traveling a lot. Well, pre-COVID. So how do you stay productive? What are some tips you can share with us? You know, I am naturally like a list checker offer, if, okay. that's, a, if that's a word. 
I love like I have multiple lists for just multiple groupings of things I need to get done. And so one of the things that I've been doing is just really allowing myself time to think just freely every single day, whether it's just going on a hike or just kind of sitting outside technology free. I think having that moment to clear my mind or just let my mind wander allows me not to have that happen when I'm really trying to accomplish a specific task or, you know, a set of tasks. I never really struggled with productivity. That's just kind of how I'm inclined. I have a lot of other struggles, (laughs) (laughs) right? But kind of getting things done in a timely manner has never been something that I really struggled with. And so again, hence, like knowing that about myself, I thought, oh, I can just do everything. I can sell everything and do everything and market everything. And so you can to a point. Yeah. (laughs) There's still this thing called burnout that happens. So you kind of have like daily goals or weekly goals and you kind of just go through and check them off. Yeah, absolutely. My role nowadays of how I contribute to our agency, you know, it has evolved over time. And so I think now is probably the time I have the most flexibility my whole life that I've ever had my whole life. And so that is really helpful to be able to pick and choose. And especially, you know, with the kiddo around, both my husband and I try to have that quality time and really prioritize family time, you know, while of course the business is always going to be super important as well. Yeah, this last year has been obviously very interesting for everyone with everything COVID related, but yeah, proud to say that we still have managed to get a lot done when... You know, a lot of people had a low time, you know, time where they couldn't work or they weren't doing as much. I, we kind of doubled down and really tried to take any low points in terms of having a lot to do and really reinvest them back into how we're thinking about our business, what those goals are for the future, how to kind of restructure things to be more efficient and effective and better for our team and our employees. Yeah, I'm really proud of everything we accomplished in 2020, despite everything. Yeah, that's good. I'm so happy that you guys were able to still thrive during COVID times, especially what just went on in the world. So you should be proud full of what you guys are doing out there and managing your team. I did want to ask you, so I know that you right now work 35 hours on average in a week. So what about in the beginning stages? How many hours did you put in? Oh my gosh. I can't even answer that question. I mean, I would wake up in the middle of the night and I would like send some emails or I didn't want to forget something. So I'll just tell you, like we worked all the time. There was no such thing as a lunch break. There was no social life. Yeah. I mean, we had a social life because a lot of us being out and about and networking was also really helpful for our business. So us being, I mean, both my husband and I are just natural extroverts. And so being out and about was, again, fulfilling and also really helpful to expand our service offering and just meeting new people and, and making connections. So I don't know. I just know we worked a ton and we liked it that way. Like it was tiring, but it was also really fulfilling. Yeah. And you mentioned networking. Are you part of any entrepreneurs organizations or groups or any meetups? Yeah. So we're really involved with the entrepreneurs organization. Okay. It's a global organization, EO for short. And so that's really been great for us the last few years, just being able to have access to the speakers. They have really great speakers and workshopping and just learning sessions as well as social events. And so 
being part of that group and networking and, and talking with other entrepreneurs and sharing in our monthly meetings, just what everybody's going through, et cetera, is really, really motivating and just inspiring. So do you think it's important for someone to get plugged into networking groups and different organizations to help them grow in their entrepreneur career? Absolutely. I mean, sharing stories with other entrepreneurs, like I said, for myself has been super, super motivating and helpful. But then also, again, the more people that know what you do and what you specialize in, you increase your chances of getting those referral sources and really just... At the end of the day, people work with people that they like and they trust. And so the more connections you have and the more people that know you, again, the better the likelihood of you being able to be connected to a prospect or a friend or a nonprofit, right? So, you know, our goal is just to be out and about and kind of be a part of our community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Powerful, powerful advice. Thank you so much. And so I know that you have 25 employees now. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So at 25 years old, <laughs> how are you looking back now and looking at where you're at? How are you able to manage that and take kind of like a leadership role to hire these employees, to train these employees, to motivate them? What prepared you? Were you prepared? What are your thoughts on that? I don't know if you're ever prepared. You just <laughs> yeah. do it and you do your best. Luckily, we have the structure now from a management perspective and so on where it's tiered and it's not just on on myself you know or my husband to manage everything but that the reason why we started our agency is so we can make an impact on our clients and on their businesses and just always speaking from the heart i think that nowadays it's become so sanitized of what you can and what you can say and I think we've just always been really honest about what our goals are and what we expect and what accomplishments we want to achieve and that we want to work with good people and, and come to work every day and enjoy our work. I mean, we always talk about like the reason why I started my business is not so I can work with people that I don't like. I want this to be a positive environment that everybody likes to come to. And so yeah, I think just always being honest and straightforward, speaking from the heart, you could never go wrong. And what makes your agency different or set apart from the other marketing agencies out there? I think our partner approach and the way that we work with clients is a big thing. Just the way that we are embedded in our clients' teams and we're viewed as part of the team. I mean, of course, you know, I think we have stellar creative work, of course, and you know, some of our tech solutions are some of the best. Again, mm -hmm. these, are, these are things you expect me to say, but I think just having that empathy and really understanding the problems that our clients are trying to solve and being there for them as their partner and not someone that just sends an invoice once a month is what I think has helped us keep those relationships, grow those relationships and really make a name for ourselves. Yeah, it keeps Dell coming back to you guys. <laughs> so Maria, how do you reinvest in yourself? Because marketing is such an ever-changing, fast-paced industry. So how do you keep reinvesting in yourself to keep up to date? You know, again, everything prior to 2020 was different than after. Attending a lot of conferences, going to a lot of learning sessions, 
Each of our employees has a training and conference budget every year. And so we really encourage people to take advantage of that from, again, whatever kind of suits them and fits their personality, right? Like whether it's something like a class that they want to take to grow themselves and their skill set or to kind of get out there and learn more about trends and where the market is going, et cetera. So of course, a lot of that has been, has looked a little bit different in this past year as everything has been virtual, but I also see that as a positive because, I mean, gosh, to have something that you'd have to fly to a different city and state to go to and like a conference or something like that, we can now do, I mean, everybody could have access to that. And so it's more about finding the time, but we've really tried to stay on top of trends. And again, you're constantly reinventing yourself and reinvesting in certain aspects of your business as you see trends evolve. And so Nothing is static, especially in agency life. I mean, you have to, what your client is looking for, what need there is to be met and solved. And so, you know, the different service offerings are constantly evolving and improving based on, again, what problems we need to solve for our clients. And what about you? Do you read any marketing books besides the conferences? Is there anything else that you specifically do? I read all the books. So I I mean, I don't know if it was 2020 or I mean, I have been reading everything that I can get my hands on from a book perspective. I mean, you hear about people watching all of, you know, I'm done with Netflix now, right? And and trust me, I like my Netflix too, but it's really, really helped me to read and just a variety of books, right? Like CEO books and their stories to marketing books and business books and biographies. Um, I'm definitely more on the nonfiction side of things, but I love it. Especially if somebody has a book recommendation, I'm just all about it. (laughs) Yeah, I've been reading a ton. Okay, give us two book recommendations. Okay, so one of my favorites is called Essentialism. Gosh, I'm blanking on the author. That I've reread that book twice now. Greg McCown? Yes, that's the one. Okay. And the other one that actually really surprised me, it's called Stillness is the Key by Ryan Holiday. Stillness? Stillness. Oh, stillness. Got it. Mm -hmm. Still. uh, Stillness is the key. Uh, Again, just very more on the philosophical side of of things, but just very, very interesting. That's another one that I will definitely reread. But Awesome. I love it. I love reading books too. So way to go. (laughs) Keep it up. Yeah, I have lots of recommendations. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So Maria, what does the American dream mean to you? This is deep. Yes. (laughs) You know, and and maybe my answer won't be as deep. I think just having the the opportunity that, that you have, I mean, that's been the number one the one thing that I always go back to, I mean, you could literally be anything, right? I mean, all it takes is, you know, hard work, obviously a little bit of luck, but really just having the mindset that you can accomplish anything and then being in a country that actually doesn't put those parameters on you, like you really can be anything, has just been so empowering. I mean, I, and maybe because of my background or, you know, where I come from, like nothing, Like such a pet peeve of mine is when I hear people say, oh, I can't do that or give all these reasons why not. Like, I really want to do this, but I can't. Like, I guess I just don't believe in that because it hasn't been true for me. Like, I've never wanted to do something and then I haven't like so, so badly and then I haven't been able to. And so just the possibilities of 
being able to be whoever you want to be and be as successful as you possibly want, you can do here in America. And I think that's so powerful. I am getting goosebumps from what you just said. (laughs) And here's why. (laughs) There are people in America that don't speak a lick of English and they have grocery stores and they have mom and pop shops and they have businesses and they are thriving and successful because like you said, you can literally become anyone you dream of because we are in the land of opportunities. This show, your journey just proves over and over and over again, not only to the immigrants, but anyone listening that really you can pick up a couple of books, you can go to school and relearn something, you can pick up a side hustle, you can start something new, start something fresh, reinvest in yourself, get out there, do that hard work, do the, you know, keep on being persistent like you did. You guys worked crazy in the beginning stages, but that does not mean that we We always have to work crazy, you know, 10 years down the road and the ability to work from home. And like you do, you travel and work and be able to have flexible hours. That's totally what America is all about. And there's so many opportunities. And I've heard people come from different countries like Somalia you know, the gentleman that I had a conversation with, the government picks who you're going to be. So they say you're going to become an engineer. You go to school and study engineering. You have no other choice. They tell you can become a doctor. That's your path. Whereas in this country, you can totally become whatever you dream of. And like you mentioned, I mean, I'm just getting goosebumps over and over when people say that. It's true. It's true. And and people take it so lightly. So thank you so much for refreshing us with that again. <laughs> Absolutely. You're so right. You can be an engineer and a doctor here, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> And your journey just speaks powerful things that, hey, you started at 25 years old and you just went full force and you're still thriving 13 years later. So Maria is giving back either volunteering time or giving back to the community something that is part of your business values. Absolutely. Business values, but also just our personal values. It's not a mindset that I really have been brought up with and not that my parents don't believe in it, but I think just as a community in Bulgaria, it was just very, very different. It was out of necessity so much about like every man for themselves. And so being part of a community and a nation that values that so much is just very dear to my heart. And it's something that we continue to invest in in our own communities and Again, having the resources or even not even having the resources, there's so much that you can do volunteer wise and otherwise. And so, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's something that's never going to stop for us. There's definitely causes that we really believe in that we contribute to in many ways. The short answer is yes, very much. Got it. And do you think being an entrepreneur allowed you to give back more? I think so. I think that it allowed me to think more creatively of how I can give back. I mean, in the very beginning when I was starting out, at any given moment, I had one, not more than one, but one client that I would do pro bono work for, pro bono marketing work for. I didn't want to take on more than one because I wanted to treat them just as if they were a paying client. 
and give them that sort of attention. But that in those early days, that is a lot of what I did is if a nonprofit lacked a marketing team or couldn't invest in one yet, that was my role. And again, there's just so many different ways that you can contribute and it doesn't have to be monetarily. It really makes a difference. Mm, Thank you so much for sharing that. I love it. What are some things you would advise the next aspiring immigrant that wants to start their own business? I would just say, don't give up. If that's some, if that's a dream that you have, just go for it. It's going to be a lot of work and there's going to definitely be bad days, but the the good days are, are there's more good days and, and they're brighter and they get better and better. And being able to look back and see everything that you've accomplished for anyone, immigrant or not, it's just so rewarding. And we don't get a chance to celebrate that as much as we should, I think, for, for my family. But looking back and just seeing all the lives that you've touched and all the employees that you were able to have be on your team. And just, you know, I look back at being a little girl and kind of thinking like, oh, I'm going to do this or being called bossy, right? That's the classic one. It's like, you're always (laughs) telling people what to do. You're always, you know, it's like, man, when you're a difficult kid, that could definitely translate into having a vision and being an entrepreneur. And so I'm just such a big proponent of whatever it is that you want to do, try it. And there's always a plan B. You can always have a plan B, but you never know if it works. It could be so, so rewarding and inspiring for so many others. So powerful. And growing up, did you always know you're going to become an entrepreneur? I don't think I knew what that was because again, I don't think that entrepreneur was a job description I was familiar with in communist times, but I always knew that I had that fire inside me. I didn't really know what to do with it other than you know, give my parents a hard time when I was a teenager. (laughs) But I'm not surprised on where I am. I always talk about that. I don't think I'm employable at this point in my life, even though I'm 38. (laughs) You know, just because after you've been so accountable and responsible for your own, not only for your own livelihood, but, you know, others like other, you know, employees and vendors and so on. I think it'd be difficult to to go back. But I always knew that I was a little bit different than like wanting that perfect stable job. And that's not where I thrived. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad that you were able to touch into your intuition, capture that and go full force with it. Because a lot of people have that inside of them. And they're just, you know, stuck in a nine to five, where they just think that it's a limited option for them and they don't tap into that. So well and it takes a lot of risk, right? And that's again, everybody has a different risk tolerance. So mm-hmm. it's not to minimize that and it's not to say that it's easy, but you definitely have to put yourself out there and take that risk. Well, Maria, thank you so, so much for coming on the Immigrant Entrepreneurs Podcast. I truly appreciate you sharing your journey and what an amazing journey at 25 years old, building your company and still thriving even during COVID. So thank you so much for coming on and dropping some powerful advice to all of our listeners. Thank you, Alina. Alrighty, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. If there are any links that were mentioned in this episode, make sure to check them out on my website under this episode to find all the links conveniently located in the show notes. I just wanted to ask for a quick favor. If you could please leave a review wherever you're at listening to this podcast. 
Also, if you're an immigrant entrepreneur and would love to be on my podcast, please email me and we'll get connected. I'll see you guys all next time for another exciting and impactful episode. Take care.